So Ephesians chapter 6, and we begin at verse 10 as we give our attention to God's holy word. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert And always keep on praying for all the saints. That's as far as we'll read this morning. In God's holy word, may he bless it to us and to our lives. Beloved, the best way for Christians to stand is to spend more time on our knees. The best way for Christians to stand is to spend more time on our knees. It's impossible, isn't it, to read the Bible and not be convinced of the importance, the necessity, the privilege, and the blessing of prayer. We could turn to any or every book of the Bible and learn about prayer and praying. All of God's word is given to teach us to pray. We could think particularly of that prayer that Jesus taught his disciples, the Lord's Prayer, as a way to learn how to pray and to think about prayer. We could look at the lives of God's people throughout the Bible and see the place of prayer in those lives. And of course, we could study the life of our Lord Jesus and get to know him better as the preeminent man of prayer. We could think about prayer in so many ways. We could spend hundreds of sermons on the topic of prayer. But I hope it will be helpful for us this morning to think about prayer as it comes to us here in Ephesians chapter 6. As we come to Ephesians 
6, and especially verse 18, we come to this broad topic of prayer in a very specific context. We'll also see that in this verse, particular points are being made about prayer here in this verse. And so we do well as we think about prayer in general to think very with a very focused attention on Ephesians 6.18. Why does Paul bring up prayer here? For what reason has the Holy Spirit included prayer here in this letter, in this chapter, and in this part of chapter 6? And why has he done it in this particular way? What does he say about prayer particularly here for us? You remember the disciples came to Jesus and they just said what every disciple should say, Lord, teach us to pray. Well, here in one verse of God's word this morning is a small, short, but wonderful part of Jesus' answer to that prayer about prayer of his disciples. Lord, teach us to pray. I hope you have that prayer this morning. I hope I do. As we come again to Ephesians 6.18, maybe a verse that you know very well, but that you'd come to this verse about prayer, praying, Lord, teach me to pray. Teach me to pray. And so just two general points then about this verse. First, this, the context of this call to prayer. What can we learn particularly about the context of this call to prayer? And then a look closely at the content of the call to prayer. This morning, first we're going to look at that context in which prayer comes to us in Ephesians 6.18, and then also just one aspect of the content. So the context and one aspect of the content. The other parts of the content or the directions given here about prayer, Lord willing, we'll consider this afternoon. What's the context of this call to prayer? You know the Bible calls you to pray. You're a Christian. No one who's a Christian very long, no one who's grown up in a Christian home, I trust, doesn't know that Christians should pray. But you also know if you've been a Christian for even just a little while that prayer can be very difficult. Uh, Christians speak about two things usually when you ask them, what's hard in the Christian life? Witnessing and prayer. Those two often. Contentment, probably a close third. But witnessing and prayer. Well, here, prayer. Prayer is difficult. It's a challenge to us. We all know that we need to grow not only in our understanding and appreciation of prayer, but in just praying itself. Well, what is helpful to us in terms of the context? We have just gone through, haven't we, the pieces of spiritual armor that God provides for every believer as we fight the good fight of faith. Six pieces of armor, boys and girls. Do you have them memorized yet? The six? I hope you do. Six pieces, each glorious, each necessary, each freely provided for every Christian by Jesus Christ, and provided for us as the church together in Christ. 
And so what's the context of verse 18? This call to prayer. The context is still this great spiritual warfare in which we are engaged as Christians. This battle, which Paul says is not against flesh and blood, but is against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Pray. Pray. The context is the greatest battle the world has ever known. The spiritual battle for the souls and lives of men and women and boys and girls. Nothing less than that. And into that context of that kind of spiritual battle against that kind of spiritual enemy, Paul says in verse 18, pray, praying. Prayer is not just another piece of armor. I think that's quite clear. It isn't likened to something else in this metaphor of, of a soldier's armor. But rather, it is something which must be connected to each piece of armor and to all the pieces of armor together. Really, the connection in the context goes all the way back to verse 10. Be strong in the Lord. And then you jump to verse 18. Praying. Praying. And then you hear all those repeated calls to stand, to stand firm, to stand. And after having done everything, to stand. And then you come to verse 18. Praying. Praying. Charles Hodge said, It is not armor or weapons alone that make the warrior. There must be courage and strength. And even then, he often needs help. And so after all of the armor comes verse 18, praying, praying. Verse 18 emphasizes this connection with the previous verses because it begins with a word that means through or by means of. Stand firm in the Lord. Uh, be strong in the Lord. Stand firm. Put on the armor of God. And then verse 18 begins, by means of prayer. Praying. Be strong. How? By praying always with all prayer. Stand firm. How? By praying always with all prayer. We need to see this connection of prayer to everything in the context immediately before verse 18. And then, of course, in light of the whole letter, as we'll see. Pray. George Duffield He's a Presbyterian minister in the 1800s. He was born in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, a town we visited just last week on our holidays. He was a man who understood Ephesians chapter 6 when he wrote very profoundly and even poetically, stand up, stand up for Jesus 
stand in his strength alone. The arm of flesh will fail you. Ye dare not trust your own. Put on the gospel armor, each piece put on with prayer. Where duty calls or danger, be never wanting there. Put on the gospel armor, each piece put on with prayer. And so here's the context, and it's the context of the spiritual battle in which Christians are engaged, in which the church is engaged, and the call to pray. I wonder if you've ever heard of someone referred to as a prayer warrior. Have you heard that language in the church? Maybe you've used it of someone. If I mention that language, a prayer warrior, does someone come to mind? I thought about that. I have a few people that come to mind. It was a bit challenging to me because every one of them that came to mind was a woman, a sister in Christ. I had to think, I don't think I've ever heard a Christian man referred to as a prayer warrior. I trust there are some, but aren't prayer warriors these older Christian sisters in the faith, often widowed, perhaps shut in, and you meet them, you visit them, and you know, prayer warrior, prayer warrior, cast in the mold of Anna in the temple, who prayed and fasted day and night. And those kinds of Christian people we call prayer warriors. And how thankful we should be for sisters and brothers like that who know how to pray and who do pray. Often for you and for me, more than we realize, they're prayer warriors. But friends, as we come now to Ephesians 6.18 in the context of the spiritual battle of the Christian life, should not we all be prayer warriors? Isn't this a title that you would pray God would make you into? Lord, may I be a prayer warrior? Not in pride, but because this is the call to every Christian, not to a select few, but to you all and to me, prayer warriors. Lord, make us prayer warriors. Make us Ephesians 6.18 warriors in the Christian life. Isn't it true that you will never be the Christian warrior in the faith that you should be without prayer. Have you been standing firm? Are you knowing the Lord's strength? Questions like that need to come back to this one question. Do you pray? Do not strive in your own strength, said Andrew Murray. Cast yourself at the feet of the Lord Jesus and wait upon him in the sure confidence that he is with you and works in you. Strive in prayer. Let faith fill your heart. So will you be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. 
Beloved, never forget the connection of the call to prayer in verse 18 to the spiritual warfare of verses 10 through 17. Every aspect of the good fight of faith in your life must include prayer. One older writer said, the Christian armor will rust unless it is maintained with the oil of prayer. Now, of course, God's truth, his righteousness, his salvation, these pieces of armor never diminish in glory and perfection. But our experience of them, our practical use of these gifts and blessings may be diminished in our life. But they are kept polished and gleaming and useful to us by the oil of prayer. Like soldiers provided with all the armor and the technology and the tactics, we still need strength and wisdom and courage and at times comfort and consolation to keep fighting, to keep standing firm and taking our stand. And this strength and wisdom and courage and comfort come in prayer. And so verse 18, praying, praying. It's crucial to the Christian life, crucial to the good fight of faith. Prayer is not optional or recreational. It is vital. It is vital. I just started a new book on prayer. It begins with an illustration that uses a different metaphor, but it makes the same point. Here's the illustration. Imagine you were diagnosed with a lethal condition and that the doctor told you that you would die within hours unless you took a particular medicine, a pill every night before going to sleep. Imagine that you were told you could never miss it or you would die. Would you forget? Would you not just get around to it some nights? No, it would be so crucial you would never forget. You would never miss. It's a matter of life and death. Beloved Christians have to pray. We cannot just let it slip our minds. Christians are not saved because of our prayers. And we know praying can easily become a mere tradition or an empty ritual. And we know God is not hanging a sword of destruction over our heads, waiting for the day we neglect to pray. And yet, what does he say here? What is the call to you and to me? Be strong. Stand firm. Put on the whole armor of God. How? Pray. Pray. And even if we might forget, friends, the devil knows the importance of prayer in the life of the believer. Remember, there's an adversary in the Christian life, in the good fight of faith. And think of it this way. Prayer is not only how we are to fight the good fight of faith. Prayer is itself one of the greatest battlegrounds for our faith. 
Prayer is always part of this great spiritual conflict and battle. In 2 Corinthians 2.11, Paul is talking about church discipline and forgiveness, but his words apply equally to prayer. In order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. And he has devilish, diabolical schemes against you and me in this area of prayer in your life and in my life. Are you unaware of his schemes? Is he outwitting you? The devil will try every trick in the book to attack your prayer life. He'll do it in many ways. He will divert you from prayer. He'll try to keep you from it at all. He will suggest perhaps that you are not in a good enough spiritual frame to pray. You'd just be a hypocrite to pray. So don't pray. Well, how do you deal with those things? You bring them to the Lord in prayer. You confess them in prayer. He may have you think you're not gifted enough to pray. And often this comes up in corporate times of prayer. As we'll see this afternoon, he, he will often have you think you're not gifted enough to pray, that you're not eloquent enough to pray. Beloved, what parent doesn't love to hear the inarticulate speaking of our infants? We love to hear it. It's not perfect. The grammar is terrible. The pronunciation is humorous. But we love it. Does not your heavenly Father love to hear you, his child, pray? He loves it. Better a healthy man, said one person, better a healthy man in a humble set of clothes than a sick man in a designer's suit. It's not the external things. It's not the eloquence. It's the heart that comes before God in prayer. That the devil will have you think you're not gifted enough to pray. He will also present the pitfall of procrastination. Tomorrow is always the busiest day of the week. You know how it goes. I'm too tired. I'm too busy. I'm too distracted. If we were honest, I think we'd see that if we always gave in to all the diversions that we accept in terms of prayer, we'd never be able to hold down a regular job. I'm too tired. I'm too distracted. I'm too, I'm too. You'd never keep a job. But the devil wins when it's prayer. It's a matter of priorities, beloved. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things. But few things are needed, indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. He will try to divert you from prayer. He will also try to distract you from in prayer. Thoughts of all kinds can creep into your mind. Sometimes, even at prayer, it's shocking what kind of thoughts can come into our minds. Proud thoughts, sinful thoughts, blasphemous thoughts. 
We may not be able to keep them out, but we can, by God's grace and in prayer, chase them out, like Jesus clearing the temple. And third, and just one other way, Satan may try to discourage you in how you consider God's response to your prayers after you've prayed. You know how he whispers. He doesn't listen to you. He's not hearing your prayer. He's not answering you. He won't give you what you want or what you've been asking. Beloved, the Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. He hears your prayer, and he prepares an answer. His delays are not denials. Mordecai's name was in the king's book long before he was publicly honored. Delays are not denials. God gives us what is best in his wisdom, his love, his timing. Not my will, but thine be done, is the prayer of a believer. He is your perfect heavenly father. He will not give his child a stone when he has been asked for bread. But sometimes what we think is bread, God knows, would be a stone for us. Don't be unaware of his schemes. This is the spiritual battle that is pitched against prayer in your life. That is why the first specific, as we remember the context, the first specific is that we pray in the Spirit. That's the first part of the content. Pray in the Spirit. Now, what does that mean? This is spiritual warfare. Prayer must be in the Spirit. Some take this as a reference to the Christian's own spirit, our own soul. Paul speaks that way with this language in Romans 1. God whom I serve in my spirit, preaching the gospel. And so sometimes spirit can be used of our own spirits. And it's true, we should be wary of just merely outward prayer, prayerless prayer, praying with your lips but having your hearts far from God. It's true that our prayers should be spiritual, that is, they should be fervent and sincere. But most would take this as a reference to the Holy Spirit. As it's spoken of in Jude, verse 20, but you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and by praying in the Holy Spirit, and there the adjective holy is used explicitly. There is praying in the Holy Spirit. And we must pray in the Spirit in this battle. Why? Because the Spirit is the one who applies salvation. The Spirit is the one who applies salvation. Only a true Christian is in a place to pray to God as his or her Father in heaven with confidence of acceptance, of being heard, and of an open approach to the throne of grace. Jesus said you must be born again or you can't enter or see the kingdom of heaven. And it's the Spirit who brings the new birth. Ephesians 2.18 said, For through him, Christ, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. It is the Spirit that brings the things of Christ to a believer. Christ must be your mediator in order for you to come to God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The Jesus who died, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. 
We have been brought near by his blood. It's faith in Jesus alone. Oh, there's so many people. I heard a person say that he would pray for someone else recently, and then he said, and I am an atheist, but I'll still pray for you. People think they can just pray to the holy God. You need a mediator. You can only come in the name of Jesus Christ, but in Christ you can come. And we boldly approach the throne of grace. And we do that as the Spirit applies salvation to us. And so to pray in the Spirit is always to pray remembering Jesus, remembering your acceptance in Christ, the perfect righteousness and the cleansing blood that covers your life, that you pray to a Father in heaven because of Jesus. Praying in the Spirit reminds you that the Jesus who saved you is a praying Jesus, that our ultimate hope and confidence is not in our own prayers, What does the Bible say Jesus did before the Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil in that great spiritual battle as the last Adam? He was praying and the Spirit descended upon him. What did Jesus do before he went to the cross in the power, the hour of the powers of darkness? He fell on his face in bloody sweat in prayer in Gethsemane. And what did he say to Peter? Peter, Satan desires to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. And when you've returned, strengthen your brethren. Jesus, to pray in the Spirit is to remember your Savior, your sympathetic high priest who ever lives to make intercession for you, that you and the church would be saved to the uttermost. We pray in the Spirit as the Spirit of Christ. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. It says in Romans 8, 9. And for those who are led by the Spirit of God, they are the children of God, Romans 8, 14. The Spirit applies salvation. The Spirit also sanctifies. He sanctifies. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But God has surely listened and has heard my prayer, Psalm 66, 18. Prayer grows in blessing and effectiveness along with holiness. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. You pray in the Spirit as the one who sanctifies you from sin. And to pray in the Spirit is praying in the Spirit's strength. And beloved, here as we close, here is Romans 8. Never think of praying in the Spirit apart from the rest of God's Word, and particularly that beautiful passage in Romans 8. What does it mean to pray in the Spirit, and to pray in the strength of the Spirit? Listen to these words as we close. You did not receive the spirit of bondage, again, to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. And not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit 
even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope for what, why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Beloved, be strong in the Lord. Stand firm. Put on the whole armor of God. Pray in the Spirit.